Ooh, this is AOK Radio, your go-to place for a little escape. Inner child, current child, adults, come on down for an easy listen. This is I Escape signing off. Whoever and wherever you are, welcome. The escape begins right now. What's up? This is AOK Radio signing on, and today we begin the episode with sad news. I had to put down the blue snowball microphone. It is no longer with us. R.I.P. R.I.P. <sighs> it served us well for 70 plus episodes. But anyway, long story short... <laughs> I don't even know how this happened, dude. So I bought a new arm stand for the microphone, and I was setting it up, and when I was trying to get the plug in, in the back, it didn't fit right for some reason, so I took it out, and just normally, I didn't force it or nothing. Next thing you know, the back end comes out completely, and I noticed one of the uh, cords got ripped. So I thought, hmm, you're dumb. So, yeah... But I feel like it was kind of on its way out anyway because the driver was messed up where it wasn't even being recognized as a as a blue snowball anymore. It was being recognized as this two USB microphone that was being identified as a uh, a headset. So audio was being inputted into it, or at least it thought it was. So I had to mess with the settings every time I plugged it in or tried to use it in general. Um, cause I like to switch it between my computer and my PlayStation whenever I'm streaming or something, but yeah, it was getting a little bit of a hassle anyway, but fortunately, um, what I was going to do was get a Yeti snowball as a, as a upgrade. And then instead I saw this blue, no, it's not a blue, uh, the snowball ice for not only have the price, but was available for pickup that same day. Oh, yeah. And from what I've seen, the quality, not too shabby. I think it's actually better, but yeah, hopefully you guys agree. If not, that's a bummer, but this is my new microphone. <laughs> but so far, I think it does pretty well, if not better. And um, it's nice. It's a, definitely a newer model, sleeker, smaller. So yeah, pretty good buy. Thank you, Best Buy. Um, not sponsored, myth only. So we're going to continue into the Mass Effect deep dive. It's been a little bit, and I want to catch up on that because, dude, love the series. So, where we left off at, we were continuing our or conversation, there we go, with Anderson. Uh, basically just touching bases on the beacon and uh, just trying to figure out if there are any new clues to Saren and just seeing what the two of us knew. And we find out that obviously Anderson has a backstory with this dude. And the choices here throughout this conversation are interesting. And especially when Shepard talks about her vision. Uh, to us, it's very harsh. It really, it's really hard to make out much of what's happening. And it's clear that there is some sort of chaos happening throughout it. You know, something very bad. And I chose the war description here. It seemed like there was definitely some type of conflict happening. Uh, the last option, though, that was labeled our death, it didn't seem to fit because it's like, how can you make out any 
being in there. Like, it, it, there's clearly some kind of chaos happening, but I don't see how it can. I think, if I remember correctly, he does. They don't specifically say our death, but it seems like it's a warning of some sort. But yeah, either way, I just I felt like that was the best option. And even though it seems kind of fishy, it's clear that we must have gotten this from the beacon, but especially after that whole floating act that we did, it, it, and then it exploded in our face. If that's what it feels like, the true five gum, I want no part of it. Because it looks like a, a strip of five gum. I don't know why. Maybe it doesn't to you, but it does it to me. Um, For some reason, Anderson actually stresses how powerful Saren is and how much we need the count. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> Sorry, I said that wrong. I'm going over my notes and I just I uh, misread something. What I was meant what I meant to say was, strange enough, Anderson wants us to report this dream, this vision of sorts, to the council. And the part that isn't strange is how he stresses how powerful Saren is and how much we need the council on our side. That makes sense because this dude single-handedly, well, with the gaff, messed everything up. It just oof. Jenkins. Oof. All right. So after all this, I really respect Anderson for this, how informative and sound he is throughout all this. He's leaving a good impression. And I'm saying this from the from the outside looking in as a first time player. I'm trying to think of it that way. And since I started with Mass Effect 3, for instance, I already know Anderson's a good guy, but Playing the first time around in this game, you know, I tried to think of it of that perspective of what if the what if Mass Effect One was really my first outing into this series where you really don't know what's going to happen. So I started thinking about it, and I part of me was I started thinking of a what if, like what if this would turn into an obsession over Saren that would cause Anderson to become somewhat of an antagonist or maybe not a not really a villain but that's why i say antagonist actually so more like more like a uh a punisher to my daredevil if if that works um more so like they were in the uh in the marvel tv show that was on netflix where uh daredevil was kind of an adversary to uh, or wait, did I say that right? Where Punisher was an adversary to Daredevil for a little bit, mainly because of how they did things. They they just their morals were different, understandably. So I feel like that would have been a very cool concept. And with the whole what if thing out with uh, well, not out yet, but with the whole what if thing coming from Marvel, it just it's these types of scenarios are popping up in my head more so now. But. Yeah, I, I'm glad we didn't get that, but at the same time, I'm like, dude, that'd be cool to have a, a what if DLC. More games need to do stuff like that, because what other games do we have that have done that? We have the Dragon Ball Budokai Tenkaichi series. I think Dragon Ball Budokai did it as well, but I love the what if story mode in uh, the Budokai Tenkaichi series. And then there was a what if in Star Wars: The Force Unleashed two, where what if uh, Starkiller was there during episode six? And let's see, Leia was a Jedi Knight instead of Luke, because then Luke ended up dying, I think, during his first encounter with Vader. 
And dude, that was a dark, that was a dark DLC. But it was interesting to see like how different the timelines can be with just these slight, you know, the whole butterfly effect. So very interesting stuff. But yeah, that, that needs to happen more in games. Just nice little content additions. So anyway, um, I guess technically Mass Effect does have that though, because you there are a lot of different choices that can happen. So we do kind of get that with Mass Effect. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. So we're soon to dock at the Citadel and get a chance to catch up with our crew. So um, during this moment, I actually spoke with Caden first. I uh, got to know a bit about him, you know, a little bit of opening up, sharing the pain over the loss of Red Shirt. Uh, I mean, <sighs> Jenkins, Oof, too soon. Uh, red shirt. I can't stop calling him that. Oh my gosh. So surprisingly, Dr. Chocolates, and yes, I'm going to keep calling her Dr. Chocolates, has nothing to say about Jenkins. It's really weird. That really bugs me. It's just, she was literally one of the last people to talk to him. And I I say one of, because, you know, obviously he talked to us too, because he was in our squad. But outside of the ground team and Anderson, that was, she was literally the last, one of the last people to see him. And clearly they, they had a relationship, you know, it may, it may, it may ooh, excuse me. It may have been some more like just crewmates, probably nothing too major. Obviously, since she, he wasn't referenced at all by her here, but it just, it just really felt weird because you can talk to her even about Anderson and Caden. And she can tell you a bit about Caden's biotics being an L2, which is kind of a foreshadow towards a biotic side mission we can do later, which I thought was actually really interesting. I talked about that in a previous episode, too, discussing the Mass Effect, uh, my favorite Mass Effect uh, 1 missions. But here's the kicker. Even Ashley talks about Jenkins, and she didn't even know him, but she acknowledges the fact that we lost someone, too coming from the person that lost her entire squadron and she was cool with them if you read the previous comic that talked about her you get to know that she had a pretty nice bond with them uh, it wasn't if i remember correctly it wasn't so even with everybody but you know she was accepted in there to to a degree but yeah it was just so weird um presley mentions him mentions him too also commenting on how hard it's hitting everybody. Uh, maybe Dr. Chocolate secretly didn't like Jenkins. I don't know. I mean, they did seem like they were low-key arguing a little bit when we first saw them. Nah, I'm joking. I don't, I don't know. They probably just didn't. They probably just didn't think about it. But, I mean, with Presley mentioning that it is hitting everybody and everyone grieves differently. You know, she might have been grieving more in- internally. So, I get that. It's not really a complaint. It's just something that I thought thought was a little weird. And so that's during that little piece of uh, dialogue before you get to talk to Joker so you can actually board the Citadel. And once we head to him, we arrive at the Citadel. And man, is it always a sight to see, especially in these new Legendary Edition graphics. Such beautiful, rich purple clouds. And the music just 
booming in your ears. But like, if you're a gamer, you gotta have those headphones, man. Surround sound actually would be a good close second, but those headphones, ooh boy. And weird thing here, so they they talk they 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 talk so much praise over the Destiny Ascension, you know, the Council ship, but it made me wish we saw it in action all the more. I mean, we we see it a little bit in action in the finale, but after that, nothing. I like we. I think, if I remember correctly, in, in 3, we see it in action a little bit, but it's nothing like, oh, man, yeah, don't mess with that ship. It's kind of just, it just blends into the rest of the Armada. But they talk about how its firepower is just, or no, I think they just talked about the size of it, because that's when Joker says, well, size and everything, and then Ashley goes, why so touchy, Joker? <laughs> but, hey, Joker had a good comeback, though. He's like, hey, I'm just saying, you need firepower, too. <laughs> wink, wink. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I really do like Joker. And honestly, I, don't, I like all the characters, but I like how Joker has this development where you kind of have to prove yourself to him a little bit. Like, he clearly respects you as much as, yeah, you're my boss, but he doesn't really... I don't feel like he respects you as a friend in this game. I don't think it's until I don't think it's until you save his life in two that he starts to like really respect you more and consider you an actual friend. But um, I don't know. It's just the way they the way they wrote him and some of the interactions you have with him in the first game that gave me that. I could be wrong, but that's just how I feel. I think that might be just be how he is in general because he he says he isn't a people person, so. That may just be it, too, but I don't know. Let me know what your thoughts, too. I would love to hear what you guys think about that. And so with this, upon landing, we get a chance to see Counselor, or the the Council, I should say, and Ambassador Udina currently for the first time in a heated discussion. I almost said Counselor Udina, but he's not a Counselor yet. So my bad. So let's see here. All right, so we get some, obviously, some hostility from Udina, who's upset over the council, doing their, basically doing their job, which is, in a nutshell, not helping us, unless it benefits them. So big oof to that. Um, Udina demands action because of the massacre that happened at Edom Prime, but instead of the the council, mainly, I believe, the Salarian one just pushes the blame for settling their colony out in a bad place. And the Turian counselor, he he just goes on to say, you don't get to make demands, Senator. Um, Or it was an ambassador. I just saw this cutscene, dude. (laughs) And I'm already mixing things up. I think it's ambassador, because, yeah, the senator wouldn't make sense. Or would it? I don't know the rankings, dude. So... Yeah, it was just interesting because obviously this colony was hit really bad. A lot of casualties. We didn't really see that many survivors when we went through it. So, of course, Udina wants justice. You know, he's demanding action. And they're just shutting him down. Like, dude, it's they're not even being... The council isn't even being empathetic. You know, I can understand them not being sympathetic. Because sometimes sympathetic can come off as insulting if you you know, depending on the situation, 
but not even empathy, dude. Like, dude, wow. But I mean, to be fair, the Turian counselor, especially, always seems to have the fattest stick up his butt. But it does make sense because other than Saren, there aren't ma- there aren't many major Turians we run into that show that butthurt lingering over the first contact war. It's clear that that it's clear that Saren and that the Turian counselor have that that those sticks up their butt from that. Most of the time with other Turians we run into, they don't really bring it up. Um, they don't really show that hostility to it. They may have this, you know, outsider feeling to them. They're treating you as an outsider, but it's not, I don't think it's as close to that type of hostility that these two have. And of course, our main man, Garrus, is far from these two. You know, he stays as cool as the other side is the pillow. If Garrus was any cooler, he would be our man Lando Carizian. Carizian. Cal. Wow. Okay. I'm going to leave that there. So, I can understand Udina's character here. The mission went Mubar. You know, messed up beyond all recognition. A censored version of the war term Fubar. I'm sure you can guess what the F stands for. <laughs> um, even with the mission statement delivered, Udina has his bosses to answer to, and it and, and it doesn't look good on either front. Even if we did our absolute best, it doesn't look that way, thanks to Saren sabotaging it and erasing the evidence that he was even there. You know, we were able to stop Eden Prime from being bombed, but he was able to wipe all the other evidence clean that he was there. And we had a little bit of evidence from the one dock worker, but he was obviously not in the best mental state to be believable, um, which was which was kind of a major bummer because having an eyewitness can, having an eyewitness can be really good. But I feel like the Turian counselor was just ignoring it just because it's his word against Saren and Saren's Saren, so yeah, I feel like he just didn't want to hear. It. I feel like they could have had a picture, and he would have been like, "Photoshop." But I don't know. It just—I got nothing else to say about that. I guess. Um, let me think about this real quick. There was something else I thought of when I was talking about this part here, but I can't remember what it was. Um, hold on. Let me pause this real quick. Okay, I remember now. So essentially what it does is it doesn't it doesn't make just Shepard and his team look bad. It makes honestly, it makes humanity look bad for the aliens um looking at what we're doing. So this was kind of a a trial run as we found out earlier that we're in the run to be Spectre and this was this mission was meant to be our test. So it going so bad um mainly just because the mainly just because of the um artifact the prothean beacon being destroyed and uh nihilus being dead didn't didn't not a good look not a very good first impression for the council um for from us to the council i should say but after this after we're pretty much just not looking good at all 
we find out that our mission comes down to finding out how to pin the tail on the Turian. I know Turians don't have tails, but the phrase sounded really cool for a second. But from here, we are to speak to the council directly about the accusation on Saren. And it's a little weird that Saren via a hologram is like the size of a building next to everyone else. Why is that a thing? I mean, hey, Saren, you're going to be in the hot seat here, so let's make sure everyone on the Citadel can see you for emphasis. That's what it seems like to me. It's just really weird. But, um, yeah, so what I meant to say before, too, is um, before this, you can do other things, but I'm going to go in a weird order here just to kind of keep the plot points a little bit more organized. At least that's the tr- that's, that's what I'm going to try. I'm, I can't guarantee that's how it's going to turn out. <laughs> but I do appreciate that we see things this way, that we are working against the we're working against these aliens who don't really have a reason to believe us. And you can tell Udina is trying to help us, but there's only so much little he can there's only so much he can do because he has little bit he has little ground to stand on himself and he's a politician so yeah <laughs> so Saren explains his knowledge of Eden Prime's mission due to Nihilus's record his, his records I mean passing on to him from his untimely demise quote unquote stating that he was not impressed you know from Shepard's performance I mean or I guess how the entire mission panned out technically, because honestly, I would say Nihilus probably had high reg- held us in high regard. Oh, man, I guess he wouldn't have had much to he wouldn't have had much to say because he was away from us for the for the entirety of the mission he was a part of. So there wouldn't have been anything he could have really commented on with us. So okay, never mind. So I guess just from talking to us, he would have a relatively decent impression, and then. That'd be it. Nothing combat-wise or anything like that. Oof. Not good. So, well, anyway, good, Saren. We aren't looking for your approval anyway. We are looking for a high-five-finger slap across your face and a little thing called justice for what you did. I liked Nihilus. You are on my crap list. He even shouts out Anderson and how every time he is there, there's an accusation against him. Against Saren, I mean. So that didn't help the case. And even Udina mentioned that, how that was not a good idea bringing Anderson in there. (laughs) Especially because we later find out that Anderson was taken off the Spectre list of being eligible for being the first human Spectre because of Saren also messing up that mission. Uh, that he was involved in, uh, I believe that was the first Mass Effect novelization book. I forget what it's called, but that is the backstory of that. Very nice read. I, I enjoyed it. But unfortunately, even though Anderson and Udina were backing us up as much as they could, the council in this hearing did not want to hear any of it. Not without evidence that we unfortunately did not have. And we can mention a vision from the beacon here, but it's not really too tangible of what it means just yet. So the uh, 
Yeah, it doesn't doesn't really help anything. I believe Anderson brings it up first, saying how, you know, what about his vision? And at that point, I'm just like, Anderson, no, 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 don't bring that up. That's not going to help. Oh, he, he, he mentioned it. Crap. Oh, wow, I, I feel stupid now. You know, it, it's one of those things where I, I get it. I You know, Anderson's really trying to make sure all everything every myth thing is brought up and sometimes you have to bring up every point to make sure that the other side the council in this matter can really understand your point of things but if they were able to see it themselves i think it would have made a little bit more difference i don't think it really would have made that much difference i think it would have probably played out the same way but i think they would have been more like, I think they would have just been more like, oh, that's that's weird, huh? Well, there's I don't see how that proves anything about you know Saren being guilty, you know something along those lines. But yeah, I'm saying but yeah a lot in this episode, oof and oof, but I like saying oof. <laughs> I'm okay with that. And by the end of this back and forth, I just end it with Shepard saying, "You've made your decision. I won't mace. I won't mace." Why well, keep saying maced? I won't waste my breath. There we go. Uh, the council rules in favor of Saren, their poster boy, and we go on to see about finding more evidence, which makes more sense. I, I'm kind of surprised we went to do this without having any evidence at all, but hey, it's, sometimes it's better to jump on it and just see. I, I, they were testing the waters, I feel like. But me, personally, as Shepard, I would have been like, no, we should... But... At the same time, that's going against, you know, I think Anderson and Udino both wanted to do this. So, I mean, I guess Shepard didn't really have any ground to argue with. Um, So we get offered a couple different routes here. One route is talking to Harkin, an alcoholic CSEC uh, worker who may know where Garrus may be. You know, the, uh, the cool guy, the Turian, who is also investigating Saren in his uh, clearly villainous path. This was, um, I mean, I forgot to bring this up earlier, but we run into Garrus right as we're heading to the council area to talk to them in person. He's having a little bit of a argument with another uh, Turin who's just telling him just to give up on the investigation. Um, but he wishes us the best because, you know, we're going to talk to the council directly, so maybe we'll have better footing but yeah he does not trust Saren one bit so yeah I think we need to figure out what this dude knows because every little bit helps so Edina brings him up Anderson doesn't like the fact of uh, talking to uh, Harkin because of him being an alcoholic and being a jerk um, Anderson brings up talking to Barla Vaughn, an agent of the Shadow Broker. Dun, dun, dun. I do love that name, though, the Shadow Broker. Just so cool. Um, honestly, I spoke to Barla Vaughn once, and I always skip him now. I, I mean, he has cool dialogue, but he isn't mandatory, so I kind of just, eh, I don't really care to talk to him. He does reappear in 3 as a, uh, a vendor in a different area. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't believe he's in two he might be i just don't remember him but yeah i thought that was kind of cool that they brought him back i'm glad to see he survived you know being possibly being owned in the 
attack on the Citadel at the end of the game. Um, ooh, excuse me. One second. Okay, cool. I didn't want to cough on the podcast, so I had to pause it. <laughs> All right. So the Citadel, as I've said before, is a glorious place filled with many, so many possibilities. In each game, those possibilities seem all the more grander, more so in one and three, I feel. But either way, it's great that in each game we see different sides of it, too. It's great that, you know, each it's what I mean is in Mass Effect one, we have one area, you know, we have a big area we get to explore. And two, we have a little bit of a smaller area, but it's still very thorough. And then in three, I feel like. Honestly, I feel like one was the biggest. I think three is the... Hmm. Hold up. I don't know. Maybe... I think three is the second, and I think two would be the smallest um, citadel. But yeah, I would, I, would, I would say that one definitely had the biggest bit of the citadel we got to explore. But... I like that they were all different. It wasn't just the same thing over and over again. And you can do a lot here. It's it's the big hub world where each time you visit, if you do it in a certain way, uh, after a story mission at least, there is usually something new to do if you pace yourself. Um, what I used to do was knock it out loud as much as I could and then head out to the outside worlds from there, going to like Pharos, Novaria, and whatnot. Uh, but doing that means you're on the Citadel roughly for about four to about six hours. And for some of the missions, you still have to come back later for. And so because of that in more recent playthroughs, I typically just do a few here and there and come back after each story mission. So outside the story missions on the Citadel, we have the side missions that include um, one called Presidium Prophet, Asari Consort, Zeltan's Complaint, Homecoming, Scan the Keepers, Reporter's Request, Jaleed's Fears, Dr. Michelle, Signal Tracking, Signal Tracking, excuse me, Rita's Sister, uh, Shell's The Gambler, and the list goes on. There's actually a little bit more to do, but yeah, there's a lot. And I think some of my favorite ones would definitely be the fan mission, which you have to come back repeatedly to. Um, Scan the Keepers, the potential there was actually really cool and helps kind of expand the lore on the fact that not many people know that much about the Keepers. They're kind of just there doing maintenance on the Citadel. And of course, we finally find out the purpose of the, of the Keepers, but I always thought they were really creepy anyway, but yeah, I like that. Uh, Rita's sister was nice. Um, Zelton's complaint was a little funny. And the Asari Consort was nice too. I mean, all of these are really fun to do, but either way. Um, so we're going to kind of briefly talk about these a little bit. I, don't, I didn't want to spend too much time discussing all these, but because honestly, doing them justice is playing the game for sure. And I, the purpose of this retrospective is to just share my thoughts on bits and pieces of the game. And I feel like other podcasts do proper deep dives of this uh, better than I. So I figured, eh, I'll just do a, I'll do a shallow dive, not a, not a super deep dive. I'm more like 
four or five feet while other people do like six to eight feet you know what i'm saying but um going to the presidium prophet this one was actually kind of funny so you go to about like the middle section of the citadel and you run into a hanar and a turian officer who are kind of going in an argument the hanar is preaching about the uh, about the enkindlers the part of their religion the the ancient ones that pretty much set everyone on their ways especially the hanar and we come to find out that the enkindlers that they held that they held so high in regard are actually the protheans and we later find out that the protheans were pretty much involved in monitoring a lot of us and they if i remember correctly shielded a bunch of us from becoming harvested they they kind of helped make our development I, I i guess dampened our development so we wouldn't be harvested or something like that i i can't remember exactly but oops sorry i hit the mic there i'm pretty sure javik said something along those lines it's at least for humanity or the asari or something uh, in the third game and you can handle this actually a couple different ways. Whoa. Sorry, that was my phone. Um, but yeah, you can handle this a couple different ways. Um, one is you can just tell the Hanar to stop preaching. Or you can actually pay the... Uh, what was it? You can pay to get the Hanar the right paperwork to actually preach without being um, getting a ticket or something along those, those lines or getting kicked out or whatever. So, um, yeah, I thought that was actually pretty cool. Uh, it's really interesting how when you, I wanted to mention this too, that the fact that the Hanar and in the second game and onward, um, the, oh shoot, what are they called? Oh no, I can't remember their name. Well, I wanted to say that Mark Mir voices these, that he voices the Hanar. And he also voices another alien race. I don't know why I can't remember their name. Vorcha. There we go. I thought that was really cool. Um, and just the way the Enkindlers, or the Enkindlers, wow, now I'm saying it. Just the way the Hanar talk, the way they look, it's really, they're cool, but they're also really creepy. I don't know why. Maybe it's just the tentacles. But I thought that was actually really wild. Um, usually what I do is I just pay, I just pay the, the, I just pay it so they can have their right to preach just because I thought, hey, he's not really hurting anybody. He's just trying to quote unquote enlighten people of the enkindlers and truth be told, it probably would have helped people to realize how important the Protheans are and would later be when Javik would, uh, you know, eventually reappear into the galaxy. I don't know if really by much, because especially due to that Hanar mission, we deal with three where he's literally serving the Reapers at that point. But um, but yeah, that was a fun mission. I had no issue with that. The Asari Consort mission was actually fun, too. Um, <laughs> I loved how crazy booked these people were. So going into this mission, you can talk to the... Um, oh, what is... See, this is the issue I have whenever I record. I'm always forgetting the terms and whatnot. But I do like how you can go into this little facility and you can talk to this uh, person behind the desk, the sorry behind the desk, 
and I don't know why I can't think of the name of that, the clerk, for lack of a better term, and she, and she talks to you about what, what, what this is here, how cool the Asari consort is, and how she's super booked when you try to, when you try to do an appointment, which is like six months out, and it's like, yeah, that sounds about right, that's pretty much how it is when you try to get a new doctor, or try to just get a new, get a checkup done in general sometimes, it's crazy, like how many customers, people in this line work, you know, in the medical field, or just in fields in general that have appointments, how booked they can be, and I like how she says how everyone who works under the consort has these different abilities, where the consort just has a variety of different ones, and the the clerk that we talked to mainly focuses on touch, how she can relieve all these different pressure points and whatnot, and just find all the just a just like a top tier masseuse a bit uh, pretty much and being biotic i just imagine dude what if she uses like her biotics to do that too i just imagine that must be legit um so i thought that was actually really cool but i love how you can actually say i like to request your services and the funny part is oh thanks she's you know very happy about it and then she says well okay let me get you in the schedule ah and it's the same wait time as the consort i'm like what that was funny it was a funny funny gag but i'm just like okay whatever just put me in under both um i do like how you can say how nobody's worth that wait time or all right i mean if or you can say all right if that's as soon as i can get in um part of me i actually hear i did say shoot nobody nobody's worth that wait time i mean come on man so after that you she gets pinged she gets pinged by the consort and she's like hey i see that shepherd over there you can uh i I can squeeze shepherd in for a little bit and the clerk's just saying, hey, good news, you have the, you have these, this glorious moment. The consort wants to see him, so go on by. The crazy thing is, this consort definitely wants some, because the way she walks down that, that hallway after paging the clerk, and she just runs her fingers along the wall, it's like, man, you must, you, you, you thinking that's my, you pretending that's my booty, ain't you? I know you is. So it's just crazy thinking that way. But turns out she's just, you know, using us. She's like, hey, you're 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 Commander Shepard. I know you're you are a big dude. People respect you. I can use that because as soon as you get in there, she the moment you walk into the room, she's just like, that's close enough. I'm like, dude, whoa, okay. Everyone's hostile. Everyone's uh, hostile to me today. Okay, whatever. It's whatever. Um, so I feel like legitimately she does manipulate you and it's just like, man, okay. Um, so you find out that she needs your help to talk to a Turian, um, officer who has been spreading some bad rumors about her. That's actually spread to other people such as a, um, Elcor who also has some secrets that have been tangled up. There's a lot of secrets and just rumors and bad things being spread out among, um, the Citadel, and she wants you to stop it. And she said, if you do, I'll make it worth your while. Just talk to him, return to me, and it'll be all good. And fortunately, where this Turian officer is, 
um, is actually where Harkin is too, in Cora's Den, otherwise known as a strip club slash bar, pretty much. And after that, what I know, what I like too is that Cree Summers, one of my favorite female voice actors, is she plays one of the consorts in that area, and she plays a couple of the characters in the first game too. Um, after that, I don't think she reprises. Um, well, not a role necessarily, but I don't think she reprises coming back to the series after that. I don't, I don't remember hearing her ever since then, but I always wondered, man, if she, I really wish she played a, a main character, like a returning main character. I think that would have been really cool because I just, I just really like Cree Summers. I thought that was really cool seeing her in there. Um, there's a couple other people who like play small roles here and there that are in the games, but yeah, it's actually really nice. So going to Kor's Den, we get we get ambushed. We get ambushed by like a couple people trying to kill us, and it's like, really? You guys are just opening fire like that? Where 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 are the cops on the Citadel? You know, we're shooting. We, we actually, throughout the missions on the Citadel, we open fire a lot, alarmingly a lot, and there's, like, never any reprim- repr- reprimanding? There we go. Because I think the only cop we've really run into was the CSEC officer who was actually, like, trying to do something. Every time we see any other CSEC guy, they're kind of just, like, lounging about. I mean, there is the other guy we see during the um, Rita sister mission, but he's more, I don't know. He didn't really do anything either. He kind of just used Shepard for for that. But it was kind of like a quid quo pro type deal, so I can't really blame him for that. But, yeah, it was nice. It was actually nice talking, t- uh, doing this mission. Um, talking to the Turian officer. I'm mad I can't remember his name. Uh, let me see if I can look it up real quick. So, here we go. So, the consort's name is Shaira, and she's a returning character. That you run into, I believe, again in Mass Effect 3. She has a little cameo um, in 2 sending you like a letter. Um, basically talking about how, wow, I thought you died, but I'm glad you didn't. Because that would have been kind of uh, embarrassing after what I told you in the first game. How you were kind of destined for greatness. <laughs> and we speak with General Septimus. There we go. That was his name. So... Our man is down bad, basically. He's hurting over what happened. Um, they broke up for some reason. And we gotta basically just uh what's the word? We gotta pep him. We gotta give him give him a pep talk. And you know, of course, I go to the renegade route here. I'm just saying, dude, this is pathetic. You can't let this lady get you down bad like this. You are a general. Act like it. And yeah, it works. Yeah, he even says, you know, I'll go, I'll go settle things after a cold shower or two. <laughs> I thought, oh, Turians have to deal with that too, right? Okay, interesting. I'm learning something new every day. <laughs> um, but I do like that it isn't really hard to convince him, and I do like the character Septimus is, and I'm glad that he is also a character that returns in um, three. So after you do that, you you know, remind him that, dude, you're a general, you're a Turian, you are better than this. He realizes that, okay, I'll do this, but I need you to, I need you to talk to another person for me because I, 
messed up. I spread some rumors about him and I, I lied about a few things. You got you got to fix this. So we got to talk to a uh, what what is that race called? Elcor, the Elcor. Um, one of the Elcor named Zeltan, which is in one of the first areas we can go to after leaving the area. Um, we can actually have a little bit of a dialogue between the Elcor and the, oh shoot. See, I can remember the Drill, I can remember the Asari, but when it comes to the other aliens, I always forget their, their names, their, their races. Um, the really small pudgy race. I'm so mad. I can't remember their name, their, their name of their race, because it's, it's the same race as Barla Vaughn as well. But anyway, um, it's really nice being able to talk to talk to them to get to know what their what they do and who they are as a race. Like, what are their beliefs? What do they like to do and all that from talking to the Elcor and also the. I was trying to draw it out. <laughs> uh, well, I tried. And after you go to, after you talk to them and realize that, okay, Zeltan, sorry, I hit the mic again. <laughs> you can talk to Zeltan and tell him that, you know, Septimus lied. Your your secrets are safe. And I believe he can go, I believe he had to go talk to Shaira, Shaira too. Because she also had an issue with Zeltan, I believe. And because they were all, all three of them were intertwined. And after that, you can go back to Shaira and she'll give you a trinket, which leads to a nice little Easter egg. Not, not really an Easter egg. It's more like a, a nice little side mission that kind of shows us, I guess, long story short, this trinket allows us to view a, a device that actually shows us that the Protheans have been watching us have been observing us since the caveman days. And it's a Prothean artifact that we can interact with, and it's kind of a, a foreshadow to the how Prothean technology works, that we find out in 3 that Protheans are able to show us, or are able to communicate through touch. Um, their biochemistry, bio-telekinetics? No, telepathic. Bio-telepathy, bio I believe. It's something like that. And I thought that was actually kind of cool and how Shepard kind of gets that ability a little bit because of his interaction with the beacon. But obviously we're not so we're not that advanced yet because the beacon nearly killed him or her. So sorry, I'm going to go back and forth between her and him since I have so many different Shepherds. But yeah, um, so she gives us that. And funny thing is. After she gives you like a word of wisdom, how you're destined for greatness, kind of talk about how your character is and, you know, what kind of path you could potentially lead down. You can go, oh, that's it. And she's like, hey, embrace eternity. And you basically get to have some intimacy with her. And it's kind of weird because your squat mates are just there, like right there when you are back out. And I'm just like, did you guys just chill? right there as we did that 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 deed or did you guys leave i i kind of want to know because that's that would be awkward if you did stay there <laughs> but that is just such a funny thing if you if you really just said that's it i mean because i don't think you actually get paid i think you just really get that 
uh, the trinket in that word of wisdom, which understandably is a part of her work. You know, she sometimes just talks to people. Sometimes it's via touch or, you know, touch or other things like that. So technically what she gave us was worth um, what is something that people would pay for. But um, yeah, either way, you can do it that way. But man, she really just like manipulated me, I feel, because she was using her promiscuality, promiscuous, promiscuous, whatever that word is. She was using that at first to get us into doing this mission for it because that, that was such a weird scene when she first talks to you where she like gets up to close to you kind of rubs her face on yours and it's like whoa personal space like do you even know my first name you you address me by commander shepherd like everyone else does but do any of you really know my first name like that kind of move at least like dinner like at least dinner first first day come on man at least <laughs> But yeah, it was an, it was a nice little first uh, first encounter with this Asari consort. It's, it's you from this you really start to see how the Citadel works and how different ranks go, and it's cool to see that it's not just like one race above them all. Pretty much, you have the Asari, the Elcor. Even though clearly the Asari, Turian, and Salarians are kind of like the top tier because they're the only ones who are on the council. While the others are council races because they're a part of the council, but they they just don't have one up that high. It's still cool that they are a part of that in a, in a way. So it, it's not so high where they're not living in like the slums. They're still a reputable part of the Citadel. I think that was the right word. A respectable part. I'll say it that way. And let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. So I'm going through the other missions and okay, so oof, homecoming. Now this one is interesting. And so homecoming is where you talk with this man, a widowed man who's very, very unhappy. Um, you find out that he actually had a he had a wife who was killed in action on Eden Prime. And crazy part of this is she was in the same unit as Ashley. And I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that when I was reading the book. I, I didn't catch it until like my literally the last playthrough of the game. I, I smacked myself when I just realized this because I remember Ashley said her battalion name or her squad unit number. And then I remembered it when he mentioned the unit that his wife served on. And I just thought, oh, why am I just not realizing this? So all he wants to do is give his wife a proper burial. But the Alliance isn't releasing the body to him because we find out that he's the, the Alliance is studying her body for possible advancements in protecting or getting better shielding and just better technological development for handling Geth attacks, which makes sense i can understand that i don't know how necessarily they're doing that but i mean these guys are in the future so anything's possible right um at this point you can actually talk to the diplomat um a guy who's pretty much overseeing this and you can find you can actually go about it a couple different ways and normally what i would do was i would actually normally get him 
I would usually get the the diplomat. His name is um, Bosker. You can usually get him. I usually get him to relinquish the body um, to Samesh, the the widow, so he can um, give her a proper burial. But um, not too long ago, I realized you, you can actually um, with a paragon ending because you can actually. You can actually, I'm trying to remember how the Paragon and Renegades work, because there's a couple of different ways this can work, but it can range from you doing a Renegade option where you kind of have the gun in, I, th- oh, I don't think it's the gun in his face. I think you just push him up against the wall and just like forcefully say, hey, dude, I didn't, f- I didn't fight for a crap like this to happen. You know, I'm not in the army for this kind of type of crap to happen. Or you can... Just say, hey, you're doing good work. Let me talk to Samesh and say they're going to keep his body. They're going to keep her body. So um, normally what I do nowadays is I actually convince Samesh that they're going to have to watch her body over her body for a little bit. Because, dude, the gaff are literally one of the worst things we're dealing with right now. And we need as much technological technology, I cannot say the word, technology advancements. I'm just making up words. What in the world? We just need as much advancement as possible. So basically you'll get your, what my thought process, my thought process was you'll get your wife eventually, but right now we need her to prevent more people from dying. And of course, Samesh is not happy about this. But eventually you can convince him, um, good or bad, that, hey, this is for the betterment of more people. Uh, the, the, I, what's, what's the term called? It's essentially she died to save many more others or her death can mean more people can live. So more of a sacrifice type deal. And oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So I <laughs> I'm looking it up now on uh, the wiki guide so you can persuade the clerk Bosker or persuade Samesh. So if you have two charm points, you can pick this isn't right for eight paragon points or you can have intimidate points. You can pick I'm releasing the body, which is renegade. Um, so this is like forcefully saying, dude. So basically each one. Um, you can, each one is actually releasing the body, but you can do it, you know, good cop or bad cop. Um, with some mesh, you can say, this is important, keep the body, or for them to keep the body, this, they need this, or this is war, you know, saying it more forcefully. So there's four different ways this could happen. Um, it looks like either way, actually... They didn't. Interesting. So I'm releasing the body as Renegade. I usually get Paragon, though. I mean, I do get Renegade, but usually I get more Paragon. But I guess that's usually because of the backstory that I I typically choose. So that actually is probably why, because if I'm if I I don't I don't remember if I mentioned it beforehand, but typically whichever backstory you choose can alter how many Paragon or Renegade points you get. So, but yeah, that's a very nice one. Um, you have Scan the Keepers, which 
that one I wish developed into more, but I guess you didn't you don't really need it to because there's not much really need that we need to know about the keepers after one after we find out that they're just they upkeep the citadel they're they're synthetic and uh, actually I think they're more synthetic than organic and we just find out they're just they're basically husks for the reapers they um, maintain the citadel just to make sure it's up and running when the reapers come back and part of me wonders were they actually a race themselves were they were they part it, it makes me wonder like i'm pretty sure the i'm pretty sure javik talked about the keepers too that i'm pretty sure they were there when the protheans were even so i wonder when the citadel was first built were the keepers always there or were they one of the races that were harvested that eventually just became upkeeps for the citadel that is something I'm sure it's probably in the codex. I just have to look for it. But that's an interesting thing I just thought about. But yeah, I want to learn more about the aliens that existed with the Protheans, even before the Protheans. I know they talk about it a little bit in the codex entries, but I want to see pictures. Like I want to, I got to go through the art book that they just re-released because it's a, it's a redux. So they added more stuff to it uh, from the original art book. So I got to look into that soon because I haven't gone through it completely yet. But um, let's see here. So, yeah, there's about 21 keepers on the Citadel. You would think there'd be a lot more. I mean, there has to be a lot more than 21 keepers. Come on. I don't care how good these keepers are. They're dude, the Citadel's huge. So, yeah, for this mission, you only need to scan about 21 keepers. And they're spread out pretty well. And the cool, the cool thing is this, this um, IGN actually has an in-depth guide of where they all are. So that's really cool because I've had I've had trouble finding them sometimes. So this is actually really cool. But you run into a Salarian who's scanning them. I don't remember his name. Uh, the guy doesn't say, but you find out that he's scanning him just to find out more about him. And um, later on, you find out that he's working alongside another colleague, and they actually end up having a beef because they think that oh they're after um, one's after the other. Uh, they're trying to keep. The information for themselves, you know, paranoia kind of keeps in. And you, you can either keep the peace or you can end up <laughs> having um, the Salarian get killed because he's like, oh, you were sent by the other guy to kill me. And um, <laughs> Josh ended up doing that when we had our marathon. I was surprised. I did not know you could do that, but it was pretty crazy. As soon as it happened, like you could just shoot him in a fight. I'm just, I was just sitting there baffled with my mouth gaped open. Like, oh, you just did that. Um, But yeah, I kind of wish this mission had something. I kind of wish this mission had more relevance in the future. I think it is I think it is re reference again at another point but yeah it was it was actually really cool though. Um it has a nice ending to it. I think it's actually really fun. Um it has a pretty good back and forth cuz after like I said after you scan the keepers you have that dialogue where the two people kind of think they're after each other. And oh it's Jalid, Jalid. Yes, that was his name. Um, so it's Corbin and Jalid. So Jalid is, let me see if it says what his race is. I'm so mad. I cannot remember his, his race's name. Ugh. Um, let's see. 
So Corbin is the Salarian. And Jaleed... Oh, wait a minute. Oh, no, Jaleed, I believe, is actually the Salarian. And Corbin is the other one. Oh, that's annoying. It's a, that's annoying. He hasn't... He's not saying... Oh, that's that sucks. He's not saying what he is. Dag Nabbit. All right, I'm going to pause this real quick. I need to figure out what this dude's name is. Avolus. Oh, my gosh. I'm so mad I can't remember their name, uh, the name of the race. So I, I mix it up. Um, actually, Jaleed is the Volus, the one who gets the more the more paranoid, who actually wants you to go and kill uh, Corbin. Corbin's the Salarian, of course, uh, the one we first run into, who's scanning the Reapers. <laughs> the Reapers, oh, pretty much. Uh, the Keepers, I mean. So, yeah. Um, let me see here. So... If you hadn't talked to Chort Corden before or declined the scan the keepers for him, he'll be more hostile. In the case, the end of the conver in this case, the end of the conversation will always end in a gunfight. But if you're renegade, you can pick you're not leaving, and when the shooting begins, use the fire containment canisters among the crates to take off large chunks of health. However you resolve the situation, your next your next task will be to return to Jalid and CSEC. Wow. So that's one way to end up killing him. Um, that's one of the renegade options I didn't go for because I thought my renegade, like I said before, I'm not really renegade to be renegade. I'm renegade when it really, really matters. And this didn't seem like, yeah, I mean, I had a little bit of hostility and certain dialogue choices I made, but I'm like, why, why do I need to kill this guy? I mean, he's kind of threatening me, but it's like, eh, he's, he's not going to really do any damage to me. Who, who really gives a crap? I'll set him straight one other way. Um, so with Jaleed, I'm trying to see if there's a renegade way. Oh, good Lord. So one thing I didn't know about was... You can, well, this part I knew, you can confront him how he lied to you about the nature of the data and about Corbin's role in their feud. Um, from here, you'll be given several options. If you have seven charm, you can pick do it legally. While you have six intimidate, you can pick take it back. If you decide to turn Jaleed into the CSEC officer, you won't get these options. If you don't turn Jaleed into the CSEC officer, then just before he leaves, he'll offer you to scan the keepers for him. If you didn't already, if you didn't already find all 21 of the keepers, you'll want to accept this so you, that you can get more XP and credits. Wow. That's actually pretty crazy. Um, I'm trying to see if there's anything else you can do here. Because I'm trying to remember why he thought... Well, I'm trying to figure out why... He was trying to get you to kill him to begin with. Well, either way, it was it was it, it came down to just being super paranoid. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Dr. Michelle is the doctor that Garrus was actually sent after to help because she was be basically being set up. She actually. Let me see here what was going on really here. Um, cause this is where you run into Garrus cause Harkin actually tells you that, um, I meant to say that earlier, after you talk to Septimus, you can actually write, go to talk to 
Harkin, and dude, he is just, yeah, he is not a likable character. <laughs> I, I I hated, like, I it was funny, but really nasty at the same time, where he was like, you know, secrets are like herpes. You might as well just spread them around, and I was just like, dude, that's disgusting. You, people like you are just, like, that's not cool, man. <laughs> But I thought that was um, one thing I thought that was cool about that is he'll hit on you if you're a female shepherd and you can, you know, shut him down. I believe she said if you when you when he hits on you, he says, you know, sit your fine self down here or something like that, baby. And you can say, "Eh, I'd rather, you know, gargle some razor blades or something like that. I mean, I don't know about the razor blades. I get I get what you're trying to say there, but I wouldn't take that too literal. But, yeah, Dr. Michelle is actually a very small character, but she plays a big role as far as the setup to recruiting one of the best, best squad mates, one of the OGs, Garrus. Um, she is pretty much held at gunpoint, and there's like three or four bad guys in there. Garrus comes in, um, you come in next as a distraction an unknowing distraction, and Garrus comes out of hiding and just bam takes out the guy who has her, and yeah. So Michelle's Doctor Michelle is basically just being extorted. She's running supplies to a merchant in the lower wards in order to avoid a secret of hers getting out. So because of this, it's up to us to solve her problem for her. But be wary, since we'll have plenty of choices to make upcoming. Um, so this is a quest I always actually forget about because I usually just do the Garrus part of it and I, I forget so what you can do here is you can grab the medical supplies and run them to the lower wards my, uh, yourself and you'll find a merchant named Moreland behind a counter on the lower levels of shops you speak with him and another creature appears this is the guy with the information depending on where you stand you'll be able to convince him to stop what he's doing or if push comes to shove you'll simply just have to kill him when he's downed, um, speak with Moreland again. He'll, he seems as relieved as Dr. Michelle is going to be. Speaking of which, you should. Uh, this is when you can hit back and tell her the good news. And if you take the Paragon route here, you can ask the blackmailer about his boss, Armiston Baines. Then go back and ask Dr. Michelle about him too. That opens some new dialogue options about both Admiral Kahoku of the missing marine side quest and with Captain Anderson. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know it would I didn't know it would connect to Kahuku. Hmm. So be sure to ask Admiral Kahuku about him before completing the mission Marine side quest, as he will disappear at the end of the quest. There is no quest or main plot point associated with Baines, but it is an interesting set of conversations nonetheless. Oh wow, okay. I had no idea that was a thing. So Kahoku is actually a cool, that's a cool one too, but let's see here, reporter's request, so this one I meant to do more of, but um, I'll just leave this one really short, you can talk to, so there's two, there's two big reporters in this game, uh, one of them is Jelani, who <laughs> is very punchable, and then you have Emily Wong, who basically just wants you to get something in um, 
in Korra's den relating to Fisk, um, some kind of disc that you can get, and you can continue working with her later on. Um, I believe you can talk to her in two, but I missed out on that for some reason. I don't know where she went, but I thought she was a cool character. I wish we had more of her in future games, but either way, she was still... She was nice. She was definitely a lot nicer than Jelani. And while Jelani Jelani was definitely redeemable in um, 3, man, she was annoying in 1 and (laughs) 2. But, yeah, I forget why Emily Wong... I think she actually died in the game. I think we find out something relating to her dying, but I don't know if that was for sure or not. I probably should check into that, but that's pretty much all that mission is. Um, You can do more with her later on. But that's the first thing is just she there's something I think to expose fist relating to that disc you can do. And that's pretty much it. Um, Actually, let me click on Jaleed's fears real quick. Maybe that'll show like why he was actually wanting to do that. Um, Loading, loading, loading. So you can actually you can actually decline scanning the keepers. I forgot to mention that before, but it's like, why? Why would you? We No one really knows much about the keepers, and that's really the main point of this mission is just find out more about them. I mean, dude, I mean, yeah, curiosity killed the cat, but uh, cats have nine lives, right? <laughs> uh, signal tracking, that mission is actually really fun. Um, that one, you can actually end up finding the first technically the first AI that you run into in the game and I mean technically you run into Sovereign first but at the time you don't know he's an AI when he's leaving Eden Prime at that point we just think he's a ship but we find out that there is literally an AI who's trying to escape but he's like okay I guess I'm not escaping you know I'm not leaving onto this ship so I'm gonna just blow everything up and take you guys with me because you're obviously not going to let me leave because nobody likes AI after what happened with the Corians and the Gaff. And it isn't, it's a really short mission. You just track some signals that ping around the Citadel and eventually it leads you to this AI and you just do a little button sequence and you can actually turn him off, shut him down before he blows everything up. It's actually a really fun mission. I wish it was a bit more than that, but it's just scary to think of that there was just a random AI on the Citadel. (laughs) Now, this one, Rita's sister, this one, I, I didn't realize how important this mission was until Mass Effect 3. So, I'm gonna say it right now. Rita's sister is really wild. So, you speak with Rita, and with Rita, she is wait, she's the one she's the one at flux, right? Okay, yeah. So Rita's the one at flux and she's kind of down. She's a waitress. Uh no no no, I said that wrong. She's not down that she's a waitress. <laughs> Actually maybe she is, I don't know. I don't know what they pay at flux or how good her tips are. But Oh no no, I remember because once you finish doing this mission, she says how she didn't get a decent tip since then. But uh sorry for the random sound audio I was addressing the mic again but I forgot about that yeah she she after you finish the mission she does say how she hasn't got a decent tip since Jenna came back (laughs) so clearly it's not as good as it once was maybe 
But with Rita, she mentions how she's worried about her sister, Jenna, who's involved in some dangerous work involving CSEC um, and her working undercover at Cora's Den. So um, at this point, you can go to Cora's Den to talk to Jenna, kind of talk her out of whatever she's doing. We don't really know much, but we're trying to find out how. And she's not really for it. She doesn't really talk about it because, you know, clearly she's undercover. She's at risk. And when we do this, we, for now, we're like, okay, this is kind of leading to a dead end. She's not going to open up. So we leave, and that's when we run into a CSEC officer who's kind of just saying, hey, if you want to know more about this, meet me at CSEC. And he kind of plays it off like, ah, you bumped into me, you jerk. Ugh. New <laughs> Newcomers, and they run the place. So we find out this is a Turian named Chelek. And it's kind of funny. You can actually end up handling this a couple of different ways. So he scolds us for nearly breaking his for nearly breaking Jenna's cover. But I mean, how were we supposed to know? It was really that um, really that important. But with this, he actually offers to enlist us in the scheme to bring down an illegal weapons dealer which is part of what she was trying to do. So at this point, we can actually charm her, or <laughs> not her, we can charm Chelik into saying, you don't need her. Or you can say, you can do intimidate, which is pathetic. Um, this one I actually did pathetic, because I'm like, dude, this is, come on, man. You, you, this is, you, you shouldn't be using a civilian like this. I mean, does she even have the right training to be under, under, undercover like this? Like... I just, I, I'm not buying it. I'm really not buying it. It could be at the dollar store, and I'm still not buying it. That tax, no, nah, I'm joking. So, um, you can end up making the pickup, and it's just going to this arms pickup. And this is where things get interesting, because if you pick, you're under arrest. <laughs> or I don't think so, to fight Jax. That'll be considered a renegade option, because it'll spook Chelik's contact contacts away but which is what is so funny is you could just like during this action you take out your gun right and then there's a literally an option where you can say just kidding <laughs> and you can put your gun away and the i i love it so much when i first saw that i'm thinking wait can i really say this and of course the contacts get mad but you can actually do it scot-free or you can go forward with it and end up doing a gunfight and just killing them off. But yeah, you can do it that way. And if I remember correctly, you can, I think you can do the, you don't need her. And I think you can actually avoid doing the pickup. If I, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong though, but I could have sworn last time I did it. I didn't have to do the pickup at all, but either way you can do that. And regardless of what you do, you're in the clear, you know, the deal was taken care of. But of course, you know, if you do it the less crazy way, it works out for the best. You know, you get the Paragon points. Me personally, this is when I went renegade. <laughs> I did join her under arrest. And as tempting as it was to just kidding, I said, no, no, you're not leaving here alive. Boom. Because I'm like, dude, it's these guys are clearly dirty. This is illegal stuff. It's not happening under my watch. 
And of course, you know, Chalik is mad like, guys, you just had a gunfight down there. That's not cool. But I mean, in this area, we can have a couple different gunfights. So it's like, eh, you guys shouldn't be. You guys should be used to it by now, honestly. Let's be let's be honest here. And yeah, so after that, um, Rita's sister is able to go back to Flux, doesn't have to worry about Cora's den anymore. And why I mention this is because if you continue to talk to the fan, if you continue to talk to Conrad throughout the game where he ends up appearing in two and you end up having him in three if you do things correctly, um, Jenna, or is it Rita? One of the two. I think it's Jenna. She will end up saving Conrad's life because he, Conrad will literally take a bullet for you in three and Jenna ends up sabotaging the gun that was going to shoot Shepard, but ends up hitting Conrad. So Conrad can actually die because he's actually shot. Or Jenna can sabotage the gun before he makes the shot. And Conrad just thinks he got shot. And yeah. So I've seen both. I didn't know there were two <laughs> alternate scenes. Or I didn't know there were alternate scenes. I just thought, oh, he thinks he's he think he got shot but he didn't until i realized oh he closed his eyes he's oh he's dead i was mad and then i looked it up and i thought and i, I realized oh but i mean when i saw it happen the first time clearly uh jenna was there so i thought okay so she has to be there so i have to go back and make sure i do that mission from now on because i like conrad even if when i'm renegade i'm like i gotta keep conrad alive so next up we have shells the gambler. Eh, I'm not, I don't really care about this mission. I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> uh, the fourth estate. What do we have here? What is this? Uh, that's another one I don't really care about. Planting a bug. Wait, what does family matter? Because I'm pretty sure I did all these missions. Oh, this one. This one's short. So this one's one of those gray. Ooh, excuse me. I get the hiccups. So this is a brief, easy to complete side quest. And what it is, are you have two people quarreling on, at the Presidium. And you find out that Rebecca, the female, is the widow of Michael's brother, the, the other guy. And she's pregnant with her deceased husband's child. So Michael wants to undergo a procedure which will ensure its survival, but Rebecca is against it. This is actually a completely inconsequential side quest, but it's it's nice actually. Oh, excuse me, I hit the mic again. I gotta stop doing that. But it's uh, it's a nice little way to get some extra Paragon or Renegade points, and um, yeah, it's just really nice. So. You can actually, you just choose whether or not you agree with doing the procedure or if you think it's wrong. I pretty much just side with the, with the mother who's against it because it's, it's, it's her kid. And yeah, the, what I appreciate about this is that Michael just wants to make sure that the baby survives because it's literally the last thing that he has left of his brother. But the same goes for the mother, though. And it goes deeper with the mother because that's her kid. And that was that was her husband. 
So, yes, both sides are very important. Like, the brother, like, that was your brother. That's that that's super huge. But the mother and her kid, that's, that's bigger. So, she definitely has the final say on, on things. And... I forget what she said, but there was there were definitely some cons with that procedure, and that's why she was against it. I don't remember what the cons were, but she was both of them were looking for. Oh, I think if I remember correctly, the procedure was there were things that could happen to the baby later on if they did the procedure, um, or there were things that could happen to the baby now. I believe, whereas the procedure doing it could stop things from happening in the future. Or something along those lines. Either way, both sides have pros and cons, and that's what I chose. I this one, it's like, eh, why go renegade? There's no real point. Um, so of course the fan going with uh, Conrad. This one, I just did Paragon. I'm like, dude, I, I I love Conrad. He's he's such a fun character. Um, so yeah, I mean the it's just literally called that. Con, you run into Conrad, and he's just like, dude love what you did you guys you were awesome with whatever side mission backstory you chose as shepherd and you can i believe it's the second time or maybe it's the first i think the first time you sign an autograph or maybe you do the picture the first time either way he offers to get that and you can turn it down if you you know if you're heartless but i choose that and he says man thank you so much i can't wait to show this to my wife and just heads off and the mission literally says you know, maybe uh, you'll run into the... F- I forget, actually, what it, what does it say? It says, what what harm could there be in talking to the, f- to the fan or something like that? I forget what it said. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to see if it says it anywhere on here. Ah, whatever. So, throughout the game, I believe there's three interactions you can have with this guy. And you can end it... Paragon or Renegade. Um, if I remember correctly, if you do Renegade, you can actually stop him. Let me see here. Okay, so let me just read this actually. So if you don't interact with him at all, I believe he won't actually appear in the series at that after that because he never ran into you, so he never got motivated to go down the path he does. Um, which kind of makes sense in the final conversation, uh, where things come to a head, since he'll ask to actually become a, to become a specter, you know, he's kind of desperate to get in the action, live the legend like Shepard is, you know, be like his hero. And so if you choose charm, you can say it's not that easy. Um, there are other fights, you know, there's more ways you can do the, you know, do something good. Um, Let's talk about trust, which is Paragon. I don't remember that. Let's talk about trust, baby. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) That was stupid. And you can choose Intimidate, which is, that's a load of crap. There are no good fights. Or here's a test. And here's a test is literally putting a gun in his face. And this is weird. No matter, even if you do the Paragon, he still mentions the fact that you put a gun in his face. Which is really weird because there, there, there isn't a Paragon option where you put a gun in his face. I know that because I, I choose Paragon every time. So I, I guess they didn't, they either just didn't decide to write a scene 
where it's Paragon, or they just they just have the Renegade as the canonical storyline for him doing what he does. But IGN apparently says here, if you pick any of the white options on the right hand side at the end of the conversation, Conrad will actually get himself killed. Whereas he lives if you use charm or intimidate. So fortunately, if you choose the left side, you know, the blue or the red options, he lives regardless of what you do, which makes sense. Because obviously, why would he bring up the gun, um, the gun option from the renegade if you, if you, um, well, I guess whether or not you did or not. So it would, yeah, that makes sense. But I didn't know that he, he can actually get himself killed if you choose the other ones. But I guess... That makes sense. Wow, that's crazy. So he can die in other ways than just what I thought was. Wow. All right, so we're coming towards the end of the main missions you can do here. I figured I'd just talk about it all at once and probably revisit some more things later on, too. But uh, so old, unhappy, far off things. This is actually take this is actually a mission if you do the spacer background. Um, I did, my current shepherd is not a spacer. If I remember correctly, she is earthborn, I believe. But, um, this one, I, I just want to bring it up because this one's actually interesting. Um, if you return to the Citadel after a few missions and go to the wards access, you'll find a man who served with your mother Hannah Shepard, on board an Alliance craft over a decade ago. Might I add, I feel like it's such a bummer that we never get to meet um, Hannah Shepard. Because, as we know with Andromeda, depending on what way you customize your character, the the father Shepard, uh, not the father Shepard, the father um, Ryder, I forget his name, Alec? Alec Ryder? He, the way the game is programmed his customization will reflect what your character was customized to look like roughly um so i kind of wish they did something like that too and they didn't have to do it super super crazy like they could just do it along the lines of just keeping it as simple as skin color you know if you wanted to play as in a black white asian shepherd then your mother would just be black white or asian they didn't have to make her look exactly like how we customize it, you know, to save on some time. It's just a bummer that we never, we, we hear of Hannah Shepard a couple different times throughout this series. Mainly, I think just in this mission in the first game, and I think some passing dialogue references, and then we hear that, I believe that she survived in three, and even sends, sends us a letter. But could you imagine if she, like, Imagine if she paid us a visit during the Citadel DLC in 3. Oh, that would have blew my mind. That would have been so great. But I feel like that was a wasted opportunity. It's such a shame that we never really get to see Shepard's mother. And one thing, too, is if you choose Spacer, both your parents are in the Alliance. So is your dad, is your dad just... Is your dad dead at this point? Because I don't think he's ever referenced outside of just you saying your parents were in the alliance together i don't know i don't think he's ever referenced which is kind of weird but ah well um so with this you can speak to him however you want here on keeping with the character's type he'll encourage you after speaking with you 
to go talk to your mom. So you can do that by going to the Normandy, going to the communication computer terminal and examining it. You'll have a conversation with your mother here, which can be controlled how you want to... What? Before heading back to the same location where the man can be found again, speak with him some more, convince him to get help, or put him down, whichever, and in this brief... Si what? You can actually talk to your mom? I didn't know that. I need to f I need to look this up. I didn't know that was a thing. There's there's a video right here that oh no, that's all keeper citadel location. That's a ad that appears on each of the missions. Huh. And you you can actually have a it says here you can actually have a conversation with her which you can which can also be controlled how you want it to. Which means Paragon Renegade options. But for some reason the uh, the guy who served you, the mother, has some kind of issue. It doesn't really talk about what's wrong with him, though. Well, that's a thing. I've chosen space for a number of times, but I, I missed this mission. Well, I guess that's what I get for doing all the missions at once and not really coming back other than doing the fan mission. Oh, that's a bummer. Okay. Well, I learned something new. So, next one. I was planning on doing Spacer again. After my female run, so I'll do that. Because I really want to see that scene play out. Alright, so what else we got? So we're pulling up the last mission. And this one is Colonist. Wait, did I... Did I do Colonist or Earthborn? Because Colonist, I believe, is if you're on... You're on another planet and Batarian slavers kill everybody, your friends and family. That's what it is, yeah. So this one is, you find this girl, Talitha, who escaped as well. And she's kind of just, like, broken. And you have to talk her down from, like, shooting herself or shooting other people. And you can actually get her, either convince her or force her to take a sedative. And you can, you know, help her get some help, which is kind of cool. But... Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Like she was, she was, uh, stuck with the slavers for a number of years, if I remember correctly, and she literally just escaped. But us, we were rescued by the Alliance, and I guess she was one of the few who weren't able to, who weren't so fortunate, uh, sadly. So it looks like I don't have a mission. I don't have a mission on the Citadel, Earthborn. Uh, mine must be elsewhere. I gotta look into that. Interesting. So, for some odd reason, the Kahoku mission isn't referenced here. Or maybe I missed it, but I'll end it with that, actually. So, the Kahoku mission is really, really fun, really deep. It actually explores the early dark history, uh, the, or I guess the early first Dark, uh, yeah, I can't say it right. The dark first impressions of Cerberus and how messed up this organization is. And Kohoku, you find out with him, he wants you to help find his his squad that stopped communicating. We find out that they were lured into the pit of a Thresher Mall. And as we continue on his missions, we find out, oh, he discovered Cerberus was behind it and He's discovering more of what they're doing, um, involving stuff with like the Thresher Mall, doing more experience on, uh, doing more experiments 
on like them, the Rachni, the husks of um, the Thorian, and just doing a lot of messed up things with indoctrination. So really, really big foreshadowing on what happens to Cerberus, mainly in three. In two, we see kind of, we see more of a good side of Cerberus, but still a bad side too. But we see a different side of Cerberus from what we saw in the first game. And then it goes back to the bad in three. So I thought that was actually really a nice uh, perspective to see. But it was a bummer that a Kahoku eventually gets captured and killed. But uh, yeah, that was a bummer. Um, so there actually is, there's a couple other missions that aren't talked about here, which is odd. Maybe this is, wait, is this, is this a part one or part two? Let me check here. Okay. Yeah, so there's like one other mission regarding a, an Asari who ends up being a bad guy in the second game that Thane kills that I didn't realize. Because we find out that she was actually not really good because of the mission she has us do where we end up killing her sister. But yeah, she's she was not she was not good people. But um, yeah, I really like the Cerberus missions with Kohoku. And it's sad that he's the met the demise like that. But those missions I really, really liked. And I feel like a lot of people tend to skip a lot of the side missions in Mass Effect 1, mainly just because of a lot of them are in the same environments and just not really as immersive because of that. But if you pay attention to mainly the story, a lot of the side missions are really worthwhile just for the story alone. And even though a lot of them are repeats of the same environments and stuff, you find out a lot of cool things and even unlock some cool dialogue um, further on. So... Well, I can't recommend doing every single side mission. A lot of them, especially the Citadel ones, are very worthwhile. I, I assure you on that. Um, so yeah, this has been the Citadel episode where we talked about a lot of the meat of the Citadel. And this was mainly just talking about the side content. So there's going to be a part two where we talk about the recruitment, um, the main stuff of the Citadel where we recruit um, Garrus, Tally, Rex, and really put the hurt on Fist and a few other people. So next episode, we're going to talk more about that, but I wanted to reserve this episode mainly for a lot of the side content because there's a lot of cool things that happen on the Citadel and they're definitely worthwhile. So if you, if you've done um, all the missions, awesome for you. If you are kind of like on the fence, if it's really worthwhile, at least watch some videos on them and see what you're missing. Because I think they're really cool. Because um, a lot of these don't really play out into the future games, but they're great um, self-contained stuff. So either way, it's definitely pretty cool. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and um, let me know if you want me to talk any more about these uh, missions at a later point, if you want me to go a little bit deeper into them and go from there. But uh, yeah, until the wind hits our sails yet again, I will see you in the next escape, and until then, this is AOK Radio signing off.
Ooh, another chapter concludes. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to help support it by leaving a rating if possible, subscribing, and sharing the podcast with others. That way more people can see it, whether it's either from you or in their suggestion feed. And if you leave a review on the show, you'll get a shout out in the next episode. But due to my podcasts being available not just on multiple platforms, but multiple countries, to ensure I see a rating, uh, either send me an email with the subject AOK Radio or messaging me on Instagram, which is i.escape.i. So my social medias, my other social medias, I should say, and other projects like I Believe in Monsters, my short story narrations, and more are linked in the show notes below. And feel free to message me with any suggestions for future episodes. And if you ever want to be featured on one as well to talk about whatever subject, hit me up there as well. Special shout out for Emac for uh, producing the beat, Always Love You. That is used as my outro and the song featured in my EP Canvas District. The intro song used is titled The Unstoppables, produced by me. A link to all those is also in the show notes. This is AOK Radio, signing off. There is always more to seek, so go forth and seek it.